This is Truth Talks. Welcome back, everyone, to the Truth Talks podcast. This is me. I'm your host, Buddy Boone. Here with me today, uh, as always, the uh, Shepherd of Bellcroft Bible Church. His name is Pastor Matt White. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good, buddy. It's good to be back with you from our uh, from our break. Good. Did we decide is this season two or is this uh, are we in between or what? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I might I, just edit this and just throw this out there. I don't right. know. Well, I'm I'm just glad we're back. Yeah, I've had a lot of people ask me when we're coming back. I, I have too. And uh, the problem is that uh, you know I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I'm trying to get done. Um, but you know, I just be very honest with you. The podcast takes a backseat to, uh, family and, you know, and all those things. So, you know, I, I would almost imagine everybody would understand that, but. Well, I'm I'm just sitting here waiting because I'm I'm not doing anything. So I'm waiting for what? For, for us to get this going because I got nothing else to do. Okay. Yeah. 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 You only work one day a week. Exactly. That's what you said last time. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, we've We've been swamped. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot going on. Yeah. Um and and there's a lot of questions that have come up as well. Oh so my. So with that, um and and I think that what we're going to do, uh you've probably seen the length of this podcast before you uh pulled it up. This is going to be one of the longer podcast uh formats that we do. And uh because uh there's a lot of things that I just want to kind of uh flesh out and talk about, but then also um, with that, uh, we want to just take some time and give you all a little bit more uh, fodder. So, is, is that? Yep. I, I ask, I'm asking the West Virginian. Is that the yep. correct term? That's. I mean, if you're using it the way I think you are. Yep. Okay. Fuel. Right. Fuel. Yeah. There you go. There you go. All right. So, um, I actually had uh, someone ask a question on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, our Instagram is uh, the Truth Talks Podcast on instagram and uh her name is uh what is her name hold on she told me amy and she's from florida hi amy hello amy uh i told you i was gonna have pastor matt answer your question uh so here we go now this is what she commented uh on on instagram how long ago uh just trying to figure out what the context that's all well there was no context because i mean you know, if we're going by timing, two weeks ago we didn't. I just yeah. put out there. I put. I posted. Hey, you know, come and yeah. you know, tell me what your favorite episode was. She actually said that she really enjoyed the um, the uh, the uh, what was it? Uh, all of the Passions of the Heart series. She really likes it. She's like, yeah. I understand it's for men, but I really enjoyed it as well. Yeah. A number of people have commented mm-hmm. on that. That's that's a blessing. Yeah, and. Um, the other thing is that she, you know, I said, hey, you know, any other questions you want to, want to ask? And this was her question. I'm having a hard time understanding God's sovereignty and mm. man's free will. So yeah. I don't know if that's something y'all would want to tackle. Mm. I've read Romans 9 where Paul speaks on this, but I still don't understand. Mm. Also, if Pastor Matt would be willing to explain 2 Corinthians 7.10, how we can know if we have godly sorrow. Mm. Sometimes I wonder if mm. I'm truly repentant because I seem to struggle and fail more than I bear fruit. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to ask these questions. Hope y'all have a good week. Mm, great questions. Yeah. Wow. So 
That's those are the, good. Those are those are really good. Yeah, it's, it is really good. And the first part is God's sovereignty, helping to her to understand us, to understand yeah. God's sovereignty and man's free will. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She says she read Romans nine where Paul speaks on this, but I mm-hmm. still don't understand. Okay. So that's the first part. All right. Um. You want me to start? <clears throat> Absolutely. Let's get it. Okay. So. Uh, uh, well, let's start out with God's sovereignty. Um, we'll go there because that's where we must begin because that's where Scripture begins. Right? I wish we had a whiteboard right now. I wish we did too. Yeah, yeah we're, I, we do have one. I just can't reach it from here. <laughs> but, and nobody, can, nobody but me would be able to see it too. So. Yeah, that's it. I can't play charades. I can't explain what's on the whiteboard. So. Yes, it's, it's great. So, um, all right, first of all, let me preface what I'm about ready to point to in Scripture just by a set of set an emotional context because when you're dealing with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility or as the question was posed man's free will we'll talk about that in a minute um, you're dealing with a question that has been grappled with down through the centuries by just about everybody that's ever walked with the Lord in a doctrinally deep way if you don't wrestle with God's sovereignty and man's responsibility you're probably not well I, you, you are not studying the scriptures mm-hmm. right and many don't because they don't study the scriptures in the sense of you're, you're not uh, dealing with the text as it comes because the text will confront you on, on these two realities. Mm-hmm. You have passages that are really, really clear that God is sovereign, and you got passages that are really clear that man must believe, repent and believe. Mm-hmm. And so you have this tension that's in there, oftentimes even within the same verse, and so you've got to wrestle with that. And, and uh, those aren't, those aren't uh, easy doctrines to embrace mm-hmm. because they confront you. Mm-hmm. So God's sovereignty confronts your pride and arrogance, and man, man hates God's sovereignty. No one is born, uh, jumps out of the womb believing God's sovereignty, but we all jump out of the womb hating it because we're, <laughs> right. we're all prideful and sinful to mm-hmm. the core. So i just like to just preface this, you know, answering a question in this discussion with that reality that there has to be a deep sense of humility and patience when you're going into discussing doctrines like this, because this has been a, an issue for the church and wrestling with this. Scripture is clear. I believe that. And I'm going to point to a number of verses here in a minute. But still, the reality of, of tension is there. There mm-hmm. is a tension there, and I'm admitting that. Meaning, um, Amy, it, like everybody, <coughs> wants a pastor or a theologian to point to one verse that kind of answers all the relieves the tension. Mm-hmm. I am one that always says I will not relieve the tension because scripture doesn't right. God put the tension in there between man's responsibility and, and God's sovereignty. And I work hard to leave it there because mm-hmm. I think that's, that's a healthy understanding of it. There has to be a tension. Right. Right. And uh, I think that's good. And the reason why there has to be, because that ultimately drives us to our knees in humility. That ultimately uh, drives us to the trust, uh, to trust God. That's why the righteous shall live by faith. And that's why we're not told every, every detail um, because the Lord wants us to trust him. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, as Romans 11 says, after dealing with three chapters on God's sovereignty, Romans 9, 10 and 11, at the end of those three chapters, Paul is clear, starts in verse 33 to 36, and what does what does the doctrine of election, which is really ultimately all spawns out of God's sovereignty, Paul says, it drives me to worship, mm-hmm. and he ends with, who can know the mind of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? And uh, his ways are not our ways, and everything is for him, from him, to him, praise be Praise be God. And uh, that's that's the ultimate ending place when you start to wrestle with these doctrines 
is you lift your hands up to the Lord and say, thank you. I praise you. I don't fully understand all of this and how to articulate all of it, Mm -hmm. but your word is clear and uh, it drives me to worship. So that being the emotional context that I think you have to go into it, that uh, I just like to set the tone that way because so many people have the wrong thought. There's going to be like this one argument that somebody's going to throw down and that's going to that's going to end it all. No, there is none, right? That's the point. Yeah. All right. So, but we start with where scripture does with, with what is most important without question. And it's not man, it's mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. right? And so we're not going to start with free will or man's responsibility because that's the lesser of the two for sure. And the Bible's clear about that. In the beginning, God, not man. Mm-hmm. So it starts with God. It's all, everything's, as we just quoted in Romans 11, for him, from him, to him, Colossians 1, it's all about him. And so the reality of God's sovereignty really begins in the in Genesis 1, where you see God as the creator, right? And uh, the word sovereign there and, and the way it's used in Scripture, it speaks of his right to rule, his authority, and his, uh, his essential uh, lordship or rulership over all. And uh, a simple childlike definition that I would use a lot when I was a children's pastor teaching on God's sovereignty, believe it or not. It's important to teach your children these things. And, I, and, and this was grilled into my children and uh, all the many that I would teach in different ways and the people around me and the different Sunday school classes when we would talk about this is God, God is sovereign everywhere, over everyone, in every place, all the time. I mean, that's just a mm-hmm. simple child. So you, that just pulls it all in. Um, that's God's sovereignty. Now, it's more than that. But that's a that's a foundational, clear scriptural truth in regarding God's sovereignty. It's the fact that He is King, He is Lord, He is Creator. Therefore, He has the right to rule over all His creation. And Genesis one is so helpful. In the beginning, God, right? He mm-hmm. created everything: the animals, the planets, the stars, every man. Mm-hmm. Therefore, He owns us. He has authority over us. That's why He has the right to demand what we believe, think, and and do. Right, because he's our creator, he's mm-hmm. sovereign, and so uh, it's that's a massive truth in Scripture. Now that speaks of his position of sovereignty, mm-hmm. meaning his authority. Mm-hmm. But when we use the word, we often speak of his ability, right? Which is really a, which in many ways is an outworking of his power that he is sovereign, meaning he's in control. Mm-hmm. That's that's often how we use the word when we're using the word sovereign. You you have the idea of a king, right? Who has sovereignty, has authority over all, a right to rule. But there's also the reality of he has the power to rule. Right. So there's two different sides of sovereignty that you have to understand. And so in Scripture, clearly he has the right to rule because in the beginning, God. And you can go through all of Scripture and see where he just keeps showing that. But in Scripture, it's often displaying that he not only has the right to rule, he has the ability to do so. Mm -hmm. Some really good passages you could point to um, that speaks of God's sovereignty. And I'll just pull out a few just to hear off the top of my head, be Psalm one fifteen is a is just a really, really good one, um, um, just explicit, right? So I'll I'll just read verses one to three for context to show how explicit this is. Uh, I love it. He says, "Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to the to the to your name give glory." For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, why should the nations say, where is 
their God. Verse 3. Our God is the is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Mm-hmm. Right? And so what the psalmist is saying is God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. Right? You may not see him now. You may not think he's here. He's in the heavens ruling over all. Okay? Another uh, really good uh, section that's just so helpful is in Daniel chapter 4. And uh, here we have, here we have uh, Nebuchadnezzar, a uh, wicked king who was uh, prideful and looking at all that he had built. Mm-hmm. Instead of giving God glory for that, he says, look at all this that I have done. And God, what, in his sovereignty, says, this has nothing to do with you. This is me. Yeah. And turns him into a dog, basically, right? Mm-hmm. Like a werewolf. The guy's yeah. growing hair and claws right. and barking like a dog. Mm-hmm. So he comes to his senses by God's sovereignty. Again, God says, all right, enough. You've, you've done enough. How does he respond when he comes out of that, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I love it. And this is what it says, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. At the end of the days, that's the days when Nebuchadnezzar was was uh, assaulted by the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar lifted, he says, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion, there you go, sovereignty, that speaks of rule, right? Dominion. Mm -hmm. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom, there you go, sovereignty, endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Mm-hmm. Right? And so you could correlate, and there's, you know. I was we, thinking about Job. Well, you, yeah. You we, mentioned Job. Yeah, we could go to Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, where you see Joseph uh, dealing with his brothers who are fearful that Joseph is going to lash out against them because of what they did to him and when they threw him in prison. And Joe, and what does Joseph say? Listen, I'm not God. Mm-hmm. He he says God is in control of this. You, what you did to me to throw me into jail and try to kill me, he says what you did to me, uh, you meant for evil. You tried to kill me, mm-hmm. but God, God meant it for good. Mm-hmm. And and beautiful verse showing what we're going to talk about in a minute. Man's responsibility. Mm-hmm. What they did was evil. Right. And Joseph, re- but. Joseph said, but God is sovereign. Mm-hmm. You are trying to kill me, but God had a plan. Mm-hmm. He was sovereign, overruling even your wickedness. Yeah. Doesn't deny their wicked responsibility in the in the act, but God was sovereign over it. And so um, a really good passage that speaks about this is in the New Testament would be Ephesians one uh, eleven, where it talks about the fact that God is working all things to the counsel of his will. This mm-hmm. is in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, where it just, he just shows so clearly that he is working everything, mm-hmm. everything in the planet, every molecule, every dust particle, every, every decision. Um, again, I can't fully understand how, how God can do that, right? Because mm-hmm. that's an infinite mind, and I'm clearly finite. But the scripture is clear. He's working out everything which we just saw in Daniel chapter 4, right? Said mm-hmm. the same thing, basically, that no one can stay his hand. Isaiah 45 says the same thing. Um, but in, in Ephesians 1, he says he's working everything out according to the counsel of his will. Mm-hmm. Everything, that means everything in heaven, everything on earth. Colossians 1 says the same thing. He's going to make peace uh, through the blood of, of Christ's cross, bringing peace in heaven, peace on earth, everything, because he's working it out. He's sovereign, mm-hmm. Um you can see it again in his sovereign sustenance of 
of creation in Colossians 1, like verse uh, 17, where it says he holds the planets together. Again, that's his sovereign power to do that, and nothing um, nothing moves out of orbit because he is sovereignly in control of it. But but I love when you go to like Matthew, what is it, Matthew 6, I think it is, where um, it talks about the fact that not a sparrow falls to the ground mm-hmm. without the Lord knowing it. Yeah. So you see the sovereignty of God, what I just described in the almost the infinite, um, uh, infinite ways in which God is in control of the universe, right? Mm-hmm. When you think of every decision and every person's life and everything that happens, God is sovereignly orchestrating and working his, his amazing perfect will, even amidst the evil that we see, which is hard to understand, but that is, is clearly what is being encompassed there throughout scripture. But then you go to like passages like Matthew 6, where you see even the lilies of the valley, mm-hmm. right? Even the grass of the field. I just, is, I just imagine like he has infinite zoom. Oh, it's like it's, he can, he can, he knows everything, the big picture. Yeah. But then he also can zoom all the way down to the molecule. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and, 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 but even that, right? Because when you take, again, this is why you can't illustrate God. Yeah. Because that was the second commandment, right? Don't make an, don't make an image in, in mm-hmm. or don't make an idol in my image because you can't make one. Right. Because even that, when you zoom in, you've lost the big picture. Right. Right. And he never loses <laughs> the big picture. Got, he, he still got, he still too. Yeah. So when you go to like Matthew 6, where it says, why be anxious? Right, the whole point anxiety is a sin because it doesn't trust the Lord, mm-hmm. and so he, Jesus is talking about that there, and it's like the Lord knows what you need before you need it, mm-hmm. and it's a, it's really, it's a, it's a picture of his, his personal providence in your life, which is a, which is a subset of God's sovereignty. Providence is how God mitigates His sovereignty in our lives personally, and so God's sovereignty is not just over the planets and the stars, as it says in Isaiah. He and it says, I think it's Psalm 145, where he literally not only placed every star, I love it, but he knows them by name. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Uh, we've a lot got, of names. We've got, we've got <laughs> people you know, that work in NASA here at our church, and, and I've asked one of them who's a pretty brilliant guy, and I'm like, do we have any idea how many stars there are in the universe? He laughed. He said, NASA has no clue. I'm like, that's my point, right? There, I mean, all the years of science and all the... They, they don't even know how many stars. Actually, I read one time when I was doing research on this, they said they think, keyword think, they think that there are as many stars in the universe as there are grains of sand on every seashore, both saltwater and freshwater. Anywhere you find sand, take every grain. You know how small a grain of sand is? Mm-hmm. If you could count every grain of sand, that would be equivalent to the stars in all that is is a fancy way of saying we have no idea. There's a lot. <laughs> right. But Scripture says definitive, definitively that Jesus Christ, the sovereign creator, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, he's the creator, that Jesus Christ, he not only knows where every star is placed, he placed it there and personally gives it a name. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Yeah. That's his sovereignty. Mm-hmm. But again, not just... Not just um, and not ambiguous is impersonal, not impersonal in the sense of beyond our personal contact in the sense of I just have my this is how most people think of it, that God, is, like you were saying, big zoom. He's in heaven and just got his arms around it and he's just there. Mm-hmm. No, he's that. But then he's right here with us in, in right now watching what we're doing, mm-hmm. controlling it personally down to every beat of my heart. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just that gives me not only confidence and courage 
and peace. It also gives me fear, mm-hmm. right? It, it's all of that at one time. Let's and, let's let's go past the fear because yes. as you're talking, I'm like, crap. We we could literally go down the road of the fear of the Lord. Well, we will get there, but I don't want to do that no, just we, yet. We got to finish Amy's question. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I don't want to I don't want to upset her and, and purposely, but um, but yeah, no, it's it's. It's it's so exciting, and uh, th- again, there are a myriad of examples of this. Mm-hmm. So here's here's a really good one, and maybe a transition to the responsibility of man. But and there's so there's so many examples of God's sovereignty as well as declarations in Scripture. But the greatest one of all, I think, the one that has to always be discussed and spoken of is not is one creation, and I've already done that in the beginning. God, but more than that, is redemption. Right. And this is declared in Acts two. It's declared again in Acts four, where the gospel, the cross of Christ, the greatest, uh, the greatest act of wickedness the world has ever known is the murder of the infinite of the holy, perfect son of God. Right. Mm -hmm. There's no greater heinous act of oppression, persecution or wickedness than the fact that the innocent son of God was murdered. Yeah. Right by wicked men, mm-hmm. who are responsible. There's, there's your re- free will, your f- responsibility, and we'll get to that. They they were responsible for that, right? They are judged for that. They will be held accountable to God. Yet at the same time, we know that those wicked men is exactly what Peter says in Acts two and Acts four. That those wicked men, who were wicked men, i.e., showing that what they did was evil mm-hmm. and sinful, those wicked men did only what God ultimately planned for them to do in the death of his son and ultimately the redemption of all who would believe let me read it and just show you and this is a this is a good correlation not only to god's infinite sovereignty overall but also man's responsibility so in acts uh, 2 23 and this is in the middle of peter's sermon i was even mentioned this this morning and it says this jesus delivered up according to here you go the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God speaks clearly of sovereignty. He's got a plan, and that plan works only because he orchestrates it, right? And uh, who crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, wicked men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So there you see the crucifixion clearly under the sob. Now look over at chapter 4. I love this one because this is in the midst of a prayer where uh, Peter was released um, from prison. And uh, listen to how they even start praying. Um, This is amazing. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. This is, uh, sorry, this is uh, chapter 4, verse 24. And um, this is the believers praying for boldness in the midst of uh, of the report that Peter and John give to them about being persecuted, and mm-hmm. but they didn't crack under the, that's well of our sermon this morning, didn't crack under the suffering, mm-hmm. and they remained firm and trusting the Lord. And, they had and, deep roots. Yeah, they had deep roots, and they mm-hmm. come back to the people, and they're telling them, and now now they're praying that, Lord, you know, keep us faithful and praising to God for what he's done. And now watch, watch, what, watch what they say, verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, I love the beginning. Sovereign Lord. Mm-hmm. What, why are they praying that? Because he's in control of the whole thing. 
right? Yep. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. You're talking about Christ, mm-hmm. right? Prophetically, he's quoting here out of the Old Testament. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Here you go. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats common threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness Hmm. yeah that's good so i mean we could keep going Mm -hmm. every book of the bible every uh almost every chapter is is bleeds god's sovereignty Mm because he's overall and just carries all the way into ultimately revelation where that which was started in the beginning genesis 1 and 2 is finished in revelation 21 and 22 and it's all about his control and he's working it all out but in the midst of that then you have this reality of man's responsibility Mm -hmm. right and so i've already started to give you examples of that even in the the crucifixion story where man is responsible you see it even with uh, uh joseph's wicked brothers and the choice that they made which is clearly, uh, Joseph says, look, you were you were evil in your intent, but God was sovereign over that. So it doesn't deny that the choices that man makes, he's responsible for, mm-hmm. right? He's not an automaton, he's not a robot, right? Where he's just he get, just God programs him and he does what he what he wants. It's not that way. So man um, is God is sovereign and man is responsible for all of his actions. That's why that's why we are judged and disciplined according to. Uh, what we do and the choices we make. And uh, so the tension that comes in is when you're dealing with like salvation. That's always the issue, right? Mm-hmm. It always comes down to, you know, well, God is sovereign in salvation, and he is. Um, Jonah uh, declares that in Jonah 2 9, salvation is from the Lord, mm-hmm. period, right? Yet man is commanded, right? right. Repent and believe. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the command of Scripture. That's back here in Acts 2, right? The sermon we were just reading where we see God's sovereignty there. And, and at the end of it, uh, the audience that Peter is preaching to, the, the crowd, the Jews there in Jerusalem who are cut to the heart, it says, because they, they were realized that they murdered the Holy Son of God and were, and were responsible for it. And Peter said to them, well, they said, verse 37, Now when they heard this, we were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I was explaining this morning in the sermon that that term in the Greek, cut to the heart, means stabbed, Mm -hmm. literally stabbed deep, deeply in distress. Right. This wasn't like, hey, man, wow, yeah, I kind of see what you're saying, so how do we respond? Like, that's that's a lot of times when you're evangelizing, that's how people respond. It's just Mm -hmm. like, okay. So what do I do? And you're just like, yeah, they don't get it, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just reality. Mm-hmm. You get it when the weeping and the gnashing and the, of teeth and the, the sorrow starts to come over and that, yeah. that weight of sin. Well, here they got it, mm-hmm. right? They were clearly burdened by it. And here's Peter's response. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. 
again, interesting, everyone the Lord calls to himself. Mm-hmm. There's a reference to God's sovereignty right there. But yeah. earlier in the verse, we calls saw... Calls to himself. He, well, calls to himself, but then in earlier, we saw what? They had to repent mm-hmm. and be baptized, right? Mm-hmm. And so you see there's a responsibility. I love uh, further on in Acts, over in Acts 17, I think this is one of the one of the most helpful passages on evangelism, though it's not often uh, thought of that way, but it is helpful. And here is where you see Paul on Mars Hill dealing uh, dealing with all the idols that are there, mm-hmm. and uh, he's confronting um, them about this idol to the unknown God, and uh, it's a marvelous passage where he's talking about the sovereignty of God, the glory of God, and and the responsibility of man. And so here you see this in evangelism. Paul doesn't try to unscrew the inscrutable. He doesn't try to answer all their questions. He just holds their feet to the fire and watch what he says after dealing with them about their religious nature of worshiping all these idols. Then he says, being then God's offspring, and he's saying God created all men. Verse 29. Yeah, he's, he's, he's explained that God is the sovereign. He's created everyone, and he's put them in their place that they might find him and mm-hmm. search for him and all of that. So he says, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed with the art and imagination. He's, still, he's looking at all these idols that are around him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, if God is this way, he can't be like what you're depicting here. And he goes on and he says, the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And this he has given assurance of to all by raising him from the dead. Mm. And there you see sovereignty. He raised him from the dead. Mm-hmm. He, he's in charge of that. He's already fixed the day. That speaks of a, a definitive time that's unchangeable mm-hmm. right it speaks again of sovereignty mm-hmm. he's done it he's fixed it but what but also man's responsibility he's called everyone in to repent and believe mm-hmm. well is that a false repent is that a fake command i mean if if somebody can't repent and believe then it and it would be fake no it's a genuine call right right it's a genuine call to repent and believe and so here you see that tension between god's sovereignty now now, this would get into a longer dis- discussion that I won't do about man's depravity and what mm-hmm. man can and cannot do, and we won't go down that road, but that's a discussion that needs to happen normally when you're talking about this outside of a podcast at yeah. that time. But what I will say, um, so what I've tried to show from Scripture is Scripture clearly, and we could go to Romans 9, 10, we could go to Romans 10, 9 and 10, where it says, Clearly that uh, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, mm-hmm. believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. I mean, we could go to uh, Romans 3, Romans 6. We can go to a number of passages, right, mm-hmm. that talk about this and the reality of man's sin and the gift of God's grace. We could go to Ephesians 2, where it talks yeah. about, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's God's sovereignty. It is a gift from God. The whole thing of salvation so is... So we can't boast. Yeah, yeah, so we can't boast, but yet the whole reality of faith is real, right? Mm-hmm. That is, And so you have that you have that tension there. So what, and, and this is a bigger discussion, but I'm throwing it out there to provoke thought and, and mm-hmm. deepen understanding for Amy and whoever else is listening, in that you, you have to understand a couple things when you're dealing with this. One is that in the mind of God, right, and even in the Scripture, once you once you see it and grow in it, but even even this tension, God, there's no tension with God. Mm-hmm. There's only tension with us. Yeah, right. In His mind, there's there's perfect unity in all of this. Mm-hmm. Right, and so you have to trust Him. 
Mm-hmm. And what the word says is clear. God is sovereign over all. And what the word said is clear that all must repent and believe. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that all can't because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. And no one, John 6, 66, 44, multiple times, that no one can come to God unless he draws them. There's his sovereignty again. Mm-hmm. But that never negates the call of the gospel. The call right. of the gospel is universal, and then God's sovereignty is specific in who he calls to himself in his in his um in his um uh salvation. While we're in Acts, I'll I'll just show you this one. This is a great verse that pulls God's sovereignty and man's responsibility together again. Same verse. Uh you go to Acts thirteen, this is um again we see uh, Gentiles being saved, um, and this is says in verse uh, 48, mm-hmm. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They're hearing the gospel, and mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're being saved. And it says, And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Appointed. See it? Mm-hmm. God's sovereignty, man's reality mm-hmm. responsibility so yeah. so th- right here in i mean literally side by side god is sovereign in salvation and man responds well you and, know what I, I did see and in you know uh just to let everybody know we have been uh studying and talking about the doctrine of election in our men's bible study yep and the the thing that i have been uh kind of wrestling with the most is um, something that you said this morning in Sunday school, yeah. um, it was just kind of like a side. It was like you said it really quick, but I caught it and I wrote it down. And I thought it was very interesting. We were born with a God of our own making. Yes. And the thing about it is, you know, uh, just like Satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to be like the most high God. Yep. I really feel that we as people are striving every single day to do that same thing. Totally. And, with us wanting to have that control. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. Romans three. Let's be clear no about that. No one seeks after God. He seeks himself. Yeah. Because we're children of Adam. Yeah. And that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. And that that's the heart we're born with. Well, it's a good day when I feel what the Bible says because that means I've been reading it and it's been in you know making an impression in my heart. So, yeah. but yeah, that is exactly what I have been really struggling with. It's like where am I? Like, am I trying to control the situation? Am I trying to be God in the situation? Or am I just allowing God's sovereignty to just, yeah. you know, just, just be the thing that happens and distrusting God yeah. that, you know, whatever he has said in his word that is going to come to pass or uh, just trusting that God has control of everything. Cause I feel like what we want to do is we want to step in and we want to, yeah. with our own understanding, which we aren't supposed to lean on in the first place. Amen. Well, that's, and when it comes to man's responsibility, and I don't like to use the word free will um, because it's confusing and it's a, mm-hmm. it's a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a term of volatility. It, you throw that out there and it creates, I think, confusion and issues because here's why man does have free will in the mm-hmm. sense that if you understand it rightfully. Biblically. So the Bible declares emphatically that man is a slave to sin, Mm -hmm. that man is a slave to his own heart, meaning he only does what his heart wants him to do. He does. He won't. Man will never do anything other than what his heart wants. He's controlled by his heart. That's the control center of our life. 
That's why in salvation, what? God gives us a new heart because mm-hmm. it's only in a new heart that we even believe and follow him, right? We are destined We are destined to follow our heart, so God gives us a new heart, so we follow him. Right. That's the whole point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so unregenerate man, that's what regeneration is. We get a new heart to where we can see Christ, believe Christ, follow Christ, all of that, love Christ, desire Christ. So before that, um, unredeemed man is unregenerate, meaning he has a dead heart. Ephesians two, he's dead in his transgressions and sins. He's a slave to uh, to his to himself in the sense of his sin. He's ensnared by his uh, own desires. He's enslaved by Satan. He's enslaved by the world. That's Ephesians two one to three. He's hopeless. The Bible's clear about that. So man has free will, meaning if you mean by that that man will only ever follow his desires then totally man has free will. That's not what most people think. Most people most people think that it's called a libertarian free will idea where they think man is totally liberated to choose whatever he wants to choose. That is unbiblical and that is unhealthy. Hmm. Man will only ever choose what his heart desires. No one ever goes <laughs> against his own heart, right, in an unregenerate state. And so the Bible's clear about that. It's why no one seeks after God in an unregenerate state. No one's going to do that. So if you're free to follow God, then what do you do about all the verses that speak about the reality that no one will do that? And so this is where the tension comes in. But the tension (laughs) isn't Scripture. The tension is man's belief or man's understanding of free will. Mm -hmm. Because now if you think free will in a compatibilistic sense, where man's free will and God's sovereignty are compatible— that's the, what the Bible teaches, where there's this compatibility between the two. And the compatibility is this, that man is free to always free to follow his heart, his heart desires. Then you start to understand, yeah, I am free. I am free. And I'm always going to follow my heart. And mm-hmm. in an unregenerate state, my heart's always going to lead me away from Christ. So I need a new heart. That's what the gospel is. That's the new covenant. That's the blessing of 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 uh, Jeremiah uh, uh, Jeremiah 32, we get a new heart, which is, speaks of a control center, a desire. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us and gave us that desire in the gospel. And now we follow him. And that's why no one seeks after him. So in that sense, yes, that's where an understanding of free will, that's why I don't use that. And you've heard me in the last 40 minutes using man's responsibility because I, yeah. I think that's more accurate in how the Bible defines it and describes it. Um, clearly, man is responsible to to follow God, right? God is God is God, and man has put himself in this predicament, right? Man is is a slave to himself because he created this in disobeying God, and so God holds man to the to the accountability of holiness and righteousness that God requires because He's sovereign, right? He's Lord, but the reality is there's no hope for man, none whatsoever, if God doesn't act. Hence comes in His sovereign grace. When he says, "Let there be light," now you can see. You're blind. Now I'll show. You. Now I'll let you see. Your your ears can't hear. Now I'll let you hear. And your heart doesn't want to follow me. Now I'll give you a heart that will follow. I mean, it's unbelievable. That's the blessing of the of of sovereign grace. I think I've heard you talk about this a few times, but I think that every time I hear you talk about it, to me, it, it feels new every single time. Well, and it's like it feels good. Jonathan Edwards. Uh, so I wrestled with this for years, mm-hmm. and I was raised Arminian and. And so I understand I understand the struggle with God's sovereignty more than most. What is Arminian? Uh, Arminian essentially, uh, uh, well, uh, there's different there's different forms of Arminianism, but I was raised in a denial of God's sovereignty mm-hmm. and that man's 
free will was was captain overall that you had to protect free will you had to believe free will you had to drive like it was everything Mm -hmm. and and it's the age-old argument that god wouldn't command you to do something you cannot do well i mean if you read scripture he does that constantly (laughs) right uh israel uh cross this sea uh but you want us to go that way there's a sea there yes go that way all right uh, Joshua, get up and cross the Jordan at flood stage. Uh, Lord, you want us to do that? But how do we do that? Just trust me. You know, I mean, he's that's what God does yeah. to elevate his glory, right? Mm-hmm. He's constantly uh, take the gospel message to the four corners of the globe. And don't worry, I've got all authority. I'll be with you. Uh, Lord, you want us to do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, everything he asks us to do in that sense that's uh, of any value is beyond ourselves. So if it if it's only in our ability, we're... We're we're uh, we're barking up the wrong tree. We're not following scripture, that's for sure. So, but I was raised that way and and understand that world. And the Bible doesn't teach that, right? The Bible uh, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign, and that man is responsible. And there's a tension there. I get that, but that tension is relieved as you as you start to understand what free will really is, understanding it biblically, and what God's sovereignty really is, understanding that biblically. And then and then trusting the Lord in the midst of it. So so in event in an event took you down the the road, but you were going towards the road of uh, John Edwards. And so Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards helped me. Sorry, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan Edwards helped me as I started to grow in in a biblical understanding of of theology proper, the study of God. It was Jonathan Edwards that really helped me as I was reading him, and he more than anybody I've read, clarified for me that understanding of free will, mm-hmm. that man is enslaved to his own sinful heart and that he is free to follow his heart wherever his heart wants to go, he mm-hmm. will do that. And that was so helpful for me because the Scripture so clearly teaches that and shows that. And, um, and he, was the, he was the one that articulated it the best for me. And that just brought a great sense of clarity and, and, and has helped many that I've shepherded over the years because mm-hmm. it, is, it is helpful when you start to understand that because the Bible's so clear. Our hearts are the control center of our life. Mm-hmm. An unregenerate heart is enslaved to itself. Well, the and, remote control. And, of our... yeah, and will never follow God, mm-hmm. right? It will never on its own. What was the, you said, what, what were the books that you read that, uh, that um, Jonathan Edwards? Well, there was a, there was a number, but uh, his one... Uh, book um, called Religious Affections really opened my eyes to a lot. Mm-hmm. And I actually, believe this or not, on a side note, um, there's a lot in that book that's helpful in dealing with the superficial heart. Because mm-hmm. that's what he, he wrote that, he wrote that, um, it's, it's a long title. Puritans always had like <laughs> long titles. Yeah. But the, the summation is, it was, a, it, was a, it was a critique of the Second Great Awakening. And it was a critique there were many that were criticizing him that what was happening wasn't genuine. So he writes on the reality of religious affections, meaning emotions. Hmm. And he's writing on when are emotions helpful and not helpful. And and so he gets in, and, and Edwards can be deep, and he gets into the weeds and helps us understand what are the religious holy affections that are given by God and what are those that are generated by man? And then he gets into the whole reality of the heart. And it is just so, so helpful and important read. And my life really helped uh, change uh, direction. But there's been a number of guys that have written on it, contemporary guys. Uh, Dr. Bruce Ware wrote a book, God's Greater Glory. Excellent. It's, it's, uh, 
left, right. We're, we're in the office yep. with all of the, well, it's, most of the books. So it's we're uh, pointing to it's, it. It's right over here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's right over there. God's greater glory, great. And mm-hmm. where he talks about the reality of libertarian free will versus compatibilistic free will mm-hmm. and uh, what all that means. And that's a, that would be a really good read for, for individuals that want to study more on that. And uh, But yeah, so hopefully that, I, I know I didn't answer her question in the way that she probably wanted, but uh, both are true. Man mm-hmm. is responsible. Man must believe. That's the call of the gospel. And God is sovereign over all. Right. Everything, not just creation, but salvation, mm-hmm. and which includes judgment, damna- damnation, condemnation, regeneration, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I had a prediction of how uh, I knew how you were going to answer this question. I knew there had to be you. It was it was like I was playing Pastor Bingo. Sorry, uh, tension would have been the the one word that I would have definitely uh, been able to put on there because I, I as I'm as I'm hearing you teach about election and God's sovereignty, yeah. there's definitely a, a, a good amount of uh, attention because not yeah. just because of what we, you know, how we are as, as human beings, yeah. but also just because of what God has not revealed yeah. in scripture. Totally. Totally. Just for us to have that faith. He hasn't told us everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but what he's told us is enough mm-hmm. and what he's told us is good and he's displayed himself, here's the key word, he's displayed himself to be faithful, just, and right. Mm-hmm. And what that means is this, the issue with God's sovereignty, probably for Amy, as, as it was for me, as it is for everyone, is there's always, had, had a discussion this week, this, it comes up all the time with somebody, and, it, and eventually the nugget of their problem came down to the fact that they did not believe in election because they didn't think it was fair. Mm-hmm. That's at the heart of most people's struggle. Well, the issue there is because the God that they have, that they think is not the God of the Bible, right? Yeah. And so they have this view of God that isn't biblical, but they have this view of God that he treats everybody equally. He does not. And mm-hmm. you get to read scripture and see that, mm-hmm. right? And so uh, uh, in God's world, fair, according to our definition of fairness, we all go to hell. Yeah. Right? And so so I'm thankful God isn't fair, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, he's been gracious to me and I don't deserve that, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the difference. The, God's grace and mercy don't equate to fairness, mm-hmm. right? And that's that's the struggle. And uh, the reality is God is sovereign and man is responsible. Man is responsible even in his unregenerate state, right, to believe. And that's not God's fault. In, in the sense of man sinned, man rebelled against God, mm-hmm. right? He brought that on himself. So you don't blame God for man's sin, right? And so that's part of the issue. Everybody wants to say, well, it's not fair. Well, man chose, we chose this. Mm-hmm. Adam and Eve chose this, and every one of us since then have chosen it. We come into this world kicking and screaming as sinful in, individuals, and as soon as, soon as we hit our uh, years old enough to choose for ourselves, we choose ourselves. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can't deny it. So... It's, it's, this is our issue, and God still demands holiness. He still demands righteousness. And thankfully, by his loving kindness, he provides a way, and that way is Christ. That way is grace, and he provides that. And the provision is for all, right? I, I, I turned to this a minute ago. And again, here's, here's the blessing. Matthew 22, talking about the parable of the wedding feast. Mm-hmm. It all comes together at the end to the one that snuck his way into the wedding right. feast, right? Mm-hmm. And what happens? He binds him, he casts him into hell, right? I mean, mm-hmm. here's a sovereign God. He throws him out because he came in without his garments, right? Sneaking in. 
and uh, look at look at look at what it says. Bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You're like, whoa. Verse 14, for many are called, but few are, are chosen. chosen. Yeah. So there it is, the universal calling. Every, everyone is called. The gospel call goes out to everyone. I read it a minute ago in Acts 17. All must repent. That's his command. And he has the right to command that uh, because he is sovereign. He is, he is Lord of all. But the reality is only few are sovereignly given that new heart, or, which is a byproduct of that election that you've been growing in. Mm-hmm. And again, he's sovereign to do that. And he's, he's right to do that. He's right to pass over those he has not chosen because he leaves them in their unregenerate state that they chose mm-hmm. for themselves, calls them to come, gives them the opportunity to come. He's not holding anyone back, you know. He's, they're free to come, mm-hmm. but their heart, right? They're going to follow it and to go against God. But those whom he has chosen before the foundation of the world, he gives them a new heart. And that's what John 6 says. He draws them unto himself. As we read multiple times, he calls to himself, right? And what a blessing that is. So, yeah. so, so we just took about uh, fifty minutes to answer one question. Yeah, I'm so, so sorry. No, it's is here's That's the, a, that, those are deep questions, and I I don't know if I did 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 an adequate job off the off the top of my head answering that, but I've had to answer it so many times. Right. So, so it doesn't matter if I give you twenty minutes <laughs> or fifty minutes. I'm gonna take it. Yeah, you, you're gonna take it, and then there's gonna be uh, some follow up questions with that. Now, I don't know if we can do it in the time that we have, but there was a second part to her question. Um, the other was uh, uh, godly sorrow. Oh, yeah. And um, she says, sometimes I wonder if I'm truly repentant because I seem to struggle and fail more than I bear fruit. Yeah. So I would encourage her to go to our website first. Go to our website. I preached a number of sermons on this because mm-hmm. it's so vital, and I would encourage her to search that Um I think godly actually, sorrow or yeah, I just I just preached a sermon not too long ago. It was the, I think it was part two of Judas, where I dealt with Second Corinthians seven mm-hmm. ten specifically. Pick that apart. So I encourage her to go there and uh, listen to that, and where I I talk very specifically the difference between uh, worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Mm-hmm. Line it line it out because that passage does. I walk through. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7, 10, 11, walk through what it demonstrates is the difference between uh, worldly sorrow that brings regret and godly sorrow that brings salvation. Mm. It's so helpful. It's a great passage uh, and one of the best uh, when it comes to defining and identifying what true repentance is. So she's she's clearly uh, has an understanding of Scripture enough to go to the right passage mm-hmm. and point that out. So that's that's an encouragement. Um, I wish I could, you know, see her face to face and speak more clearly. But um, no, I would say that um, that wrestling with uh, the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is a good question that we should constantly be asking ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, I don't think it's a one-time deal. I think we're constantly evaluating because we know that our hearts, apart from Christ, right, our hearts' tendency in, in our flesh is to go back to worldly sorrow worldly sorrow in the end of the day is all is is man centered it's me focused godly sorrow is god centered that's one of the clear defining factors that you can evaluate as you're evaluating your repentance or your sorrow is why am i sorry why am i broken what what is causing me grief am i so judas is the perfect example of a worldly grief that led to death right killed himself but he was grieved 
not over the fact that he shed innocent blood, which he says that he was gr- he was grieving over the fact that his plans didn't work out the way he wanted. Hmm. Like he didn't get what he wanted. Right, right, right. And uh, so it, he was the vintage. Um, he was sorry because it didn't work out the way he wanted. He was not sorry in this. I'm using that air quotes. You know, grief. He was not remorseful because he sinned against God. Compare that now with Peter, right, or with David. Take David, Psalm 51, where he uh, created or or did a heinous sin with Bathsheba, killing, murder, killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, and then put Israel in danger. And I mean, there's multiple sins he did there, malice, lying, deception, um, murder, and yet, when he's confronted by Nathan the prophet, he breaks, but he doesn't have a he doesn't have a worldly sorrow like Judas. He has a godly sorrow. What's the difference? Judas, we know his sorrow was worldly because he turns in on himself. He goes back to the Pharisees and tries to fix it. He throws the money in and says he shed innocent blood. Like he's constantly trying to work it out himself because it's all about him, right? Ultimately, he kills himself. Because it's about him. He's trying to fix it. He's trying to relieve it. He's trying to stop it himself. And that's his ultimate final straw. But what do you notice with David? He turns right to God. He, he, he doesn't try to fix it. There's no excuses. There's no buts. There's no ands. There's no ifs. He goes right to God, Psalm 51, and says, mm-hmm. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Mm-hmm. So, Amy, one of, the, one of the greatest ways, and there's a myriad of ways you do this, but, but but without question, one of the best things you do is evaluate your remorse. Are you broken over the fact that you've sinned, meaning you don't like your actions, you don't like what you're doing because it makes your life harder, because the consequences of your sin now, the discipline of the Lord or, or whatever it is you've done that's created a difficult time, you're irritated, frustrated, sad because of that? Or are you really broken because you've sinned against a holy God? Mm. That now gets to the heart of it. Right. What is the direction of your repentance? Remember, the Christian life is all about direction, right? You're either going toward God or away from God. The unbeliever goes away. The believer always moving toward, even as he falls and mm-hmm. fails and sins. But he's still pointing towards God. Even in our repentance, right? It needs to be Godward. It's all about him. Mm-hmm. And not saying that we're not... Uh, saddened and hurt because of our own sinful choices of course we are right we make a lot of foolish sinful choices that make our life harder and nobody likes that but that pales in comparison to defaming the holy name of god that we carry as believers Mm -hmm. right that should be what breaks our heart and uh, in that sermon i list out a number of things defining the difference between worldly and give examples give a, a myriad of biblical examples of uh, those who had worldly grief, like like um, Esau is a good example, worldly grief. He was broken. He shed crocodile tears mm-hmm. over his stupid choices mm-hmm. to sell his birthright to his mm-hmm. brother, right? And these crocodile tears, but he wasn't biblically sad mm-hmm. over the over the sin that what he had done. He was just sad that that he lost his birthright and and it didn't work out the way he wanted. Yeah. Pharaoh's another one. Pharaoh cries crocodile tears to Moses. I have sinned against the Lord. He even says, I've sinned against the Lord. I believe, I believe, mm-hmm. right? And then as soon as God lifts the discipline from his life, I don't believe that anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's a that's a God, that's one of the signs of godly grief where once you've worked through whatever it is that's creating that conflict, that consequence, and you're beyond that initial sense of grief. And uh, 
and that's lifted, you go right back to the same old way. It's just a sign that you never truly had biblical sorrow, right? Godly sorrow. And so there's a myriad of things that you look at. The text in in Second uh, Corinthians seven. I'm just going to open it up to you as we as we uh, as I finish answering this in record time here for you. <laughs> but as as we go to the text, I'll end there. So I've given her some general um, help. But when you go to Second Corinthians seven, yep, the text speaks. Nine. Yep. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Now here you go. Verse 11 gives the reason or gives the explanation on how you dif- differentiate between the two. Here's the godly grief. Here's the results, the ramifications, the characteristics of it. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. He's talking there about a, a zeal or a, or, or a desire to be freed from this, right? Mm-hmm. So a godly grief just says, I'll do whatever it takes to be done with this, right? Mm-hmm. And a person that, this is this is David in Psalm 51. Right. Purge me with hyssop, Lord. Do whatever you gotta do, mm-hmm. right? And that's the desire of when somebody, and I've seen this as a counselor so many times, when somebody biblically repents, they come in and oftentimes in tears and, and remorseful and broken, and they, every time, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what you do, Pastor. Church discipline. Do do whatever you got to do. I just need to be done with this. I'm tired of hiding it. I'm tired. Like that's that godly grief. Mm-hmm. It's because there's an earnestness. Like I just want to be done with this. I can't now. Not because I can't deal with the burden, but because I can't deal with sinning against God. Yeah. I can't. I can't go after. Mm-hmm. I, I can't have him to con- continue to go after me. But he goes on and he says. Um, this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourself, right? You want your testimony to be to be purified. Mm-hmm. Like this is your reputation now. I'm this, mm-hmm. but I'm not that. I want to be that. And mm-hmm. so you do whatever it is to make it right and to clear your testimony before the Lord. And then he goes on, what indignation. There's a right sense of anger. That's what that word means, wrath, literally what it means, toward your sin, where you not only hate the consequence of your sin, meaning the result of your choice, you hate the sin itself. Massive difference there. Mm-hmm. So this reality of not simply hating what the sin has produced, but hating where the sin comes from, my heart. Yeah, That's a brokenness. That's a, that's a godly grief. And then he goes on and he says, what fear? The fear of the Lord. The fear of the reality that I've sinned against a holy God. Right? And mm-hmm. again... You see every one of these in Psalm 51 with David as he uh, repents of his sin. What longing, what do you mean? What longing to be freed from this? What zeal to be done with? You see David in Psalm 51 where he says, Lord, uh, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, restore to me the joy of, of my salvation. And then what does he say? And then I will teach others your, the fear of you. Then I will teach others your way. Mm-hmm. Like he has this zeal. He wants, to, he wants to be back in ministry, serving the Lord and worshiping him. And what punishment? That's huge. Uh, uh, a humble acceptance of whatever, whatever, I'm, whatever I deserve, I'll, 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 I deserve it. I'll yeah. take it. Mm-hmm. I'm not arguing. I'm not, fight. I'm not trying to get out of this. I'm not trying to weasel my way, whatever it is. And that's, that's the marks of godly, godly grief that leads to salvation. That's good. I love it. Um, this is just reminding me because I think that this, you went over this uh, during the uh, Passions of the Heart series. You kind of oh, yeah. popped back and forth I, between I, Psalm 51 and 2 Corinthians yeah, 7. It's a big so, it's a big passage. It comes up. Yeah. I've taught on it so many times. Yeah. So it's good stuff. Yeah. Uh, well, 
here we go. We're going to uh, give you the gospel presentation in a little bit of a different way. Here it is. My name is Laura Clausen. I am a member of Belcroft Bible Church. Uh, this language is Lithuanian. The biblical gospel starts with God. Out of nothing, God made everything, including you and me, to bring himself much pleasure. His purpose for us as humanity was to love, obey, and enjoy him perfectly. But instead of this, man has sinned against our loving creator and acted in rebellion. Since God is good and just, he must punish sin that deserves eternal conscious punishment under God's wrath and hell. But God, being merciful, loving, and gracious, had a plan to punish sin and so be a just judge and yet for to yet to forgive sinners and so display mercy by sending his own son Jesus Christ the co-equal and co-eternal son of God to take on human flesh fulfilling his perfect requirements in the place of sinners loving obeying and enjoying him perfectly Furthermore, Jesus bore the full wrath of God upon the cross, and he satisfied the eternal anger of God, standing in the place of sinners, though he was himself perfectly sinless. God showed his acceptance of Christ's sacrifice by raising Jesus from the dead after three days in the grave. Now Jesus commands everyone everywhere to repent turn from their sins, and believe, trust in him. This is the gracious, glorious transaction. God then charges Christ's perfection to the sinner and no longer views him as an enemy, but instead an adopted sons and daughters covered in the perfect righteousness of his son. We can now have peace with God and have eternal life with him forever. It's true for every person, in every culture, in every place, and in every language, through all time. So our response to this good news is repentance and faith. Dear here, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Turn from your sins. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and this day be reconciled to God. Delighting in the word that we might walk in the truth. A ministry of Bell Crop Bible Church.